Indeed, if you'll turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 13, um, <clears throat> I, I wanted just to give a little bit of a context here before we uh, dive into God's Word. Um, anyone Six Flags fans? Any Six Flags fans? Six Flags, I love Six Flags. <clears throat> I'm the only one, apparently, but anyway... Um, I've always loved Six Flags. I love roller coasters. I, I've loved it since I was a little boy. I grew up in Dallas, and there was a, a big Six Flags out there. But my favorite ride of all when I was like six or seven, right, if you can remember back to that uh, time in your life, was the, <clears throat> the Chaparral Antique Car Ride. Now, if you're not familiar, I think they're still around. Um, they're, not the, they're not the longest lines. You can get right in. Um, but the, they're these old sort of jalopies um, that kids that have two steering wheels that kids are supposed to drive with their parents kind of gives the kid the idea of, of driving a car. I loved that. <clears throat> I loved it because it gave me a taste at six years old of what it was like to be a grown-up. Anyone else remember that? I'm actually steering this thing. I'm actually driving this thing. I'm the driver. It enlivened my six-year-old imagination. I loved it <clears throat> until I was about 10. And then I realized it was actually kind of lame. <laughs> I couldn't make it go faster than two miles per hour. Um, and while I did steer, there was this metal guide running all through that. So you couldn't really go off the track at all. It kept you from going off the track. There was no four-wheeling involved, unfortunately. It was only really a taste of being a grown-up. It was just a taste. It was fun, but it was just a taste. Um, and tastes are fun, but they're not the full experience of getting behind the wheel and really driving a car, right? Well, this is like the kingdom of God. It's already here. Um, we have real tastes of it everywhere we look, everywhere we go. Um, it is here. Um, there is real steering, real driving. <clears throat> it enlivens our imaginations to what it will be like in full later. But it's not quite there yet. It's only proximate. Um, it's only a taste. Um, what it will be like on the open road when we're a grown-up, right? but it's not there in full yet. And we know that, don't we? We feel that, don't we? It's not the perfect, peaceful, death-beating reality yet, is it? It's only proximate. Um, the Chaparral Antique Car Ride, we might say, is a parable of the kingdom. It's a taste something that God gives us that points us to a bigger and better reality to come. A parable of the kingdom, like the ones you have begun studying here. Um, I believe you started last week, is that right? Um, uh, the king of kings is breaking in through the noise of our lives, through the noise of the world, through, um, through the noise of religion with uh, parable rides to enliven our imagination. To what we can taste now, but what it will be like in full then. So this week we're going to look at the parable 
known as the parable of the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares. Um, it's another way of saying basically the same thing. It's from Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. <clears throat> he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, when the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came to, and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest and at harvest time I will tell the reapers gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn this is the word of the Lord um, his name has come up recently again in news but does anyone remember the name Jeffrey Epstein um, if you know that he was big in the news and 2019, he was charged with child trafficking, this horrible evil, um, and he basically was found that he bought his way out of trouble for years and years. Jesus is saying that the evil is a reality, and it can't be avoided as we wait for the kingdom to come in full. It's everywhere. It's all over the place, all through the garden. <clears throat> no gated communities will keep evil at bay. And he's anticipating how its reality is really hard for us now. The reality of evil is really hard for us now. Um, just like it was hard for the Jews and the Pharisees that he was speaking to back then. It's hard while we wait. For the kingdom to come in full. He knows how it freaks us out, maybe, how disturbing it is to our lives and to the world, and how it can really undermine faith. Does anyone feel that way? You've looked around, you see real evil in the world, and you're like, man, it's hard to believe that Jesus wants to do anything about this. I don't know about you, but I certainly have had those questions over the years. <clears throat> we hear, and maybe we feel, and maybe we taste the cry of Epstein's victims. Their cry for justice. <clears throat> he finally did face justice, but before he could stand trial he committed suicide allegedly in jail um, his victims were really angry that he did that because they wanted to see justice <clears throat> I remember one in particular when she was interviewed said I hope he burns in hell 
I can understand that. I remember a few months later, her, Hurricane Dorian narrowly missed demolishing his private island where he committed all these crimes. And I remember thinking to myself, dang it. <clears throat> Jesus gives us assurance that justice will be served in the end. The weeds will have their judgment day. And that should give us some comfort, um, but only some, right? If we're honest. And he knows that. <clears throat> what about evil now? Right? He addresses that here. <clears throat> but his answers may come across, if you're like me, as a little bit more disconcerting than I would prefer. <clears throat> know what bugged me and eventually made me lose interest in the Chaparral antique car ride? Um, was the fact that I realized that I was not really in control. I couldn't make it go faster. Um, because the metal guide, I couldn't go four-wheeling if I wanted to. Jesus is establishing here that he is the master and he calls the shots. He's the driver. No, I'm not going to bust out and Jesus take the wheel. <clears throat> but this is something like it. Um, he's in control and he's bringing the kingdom of God in full to this evil-filled world. He is driving this kingdom bus and whether we are on board or not, it is going to go at his pace and it is going to come in his way. <clears throat> I like to drive. I'm kind of a control freak. Anyone else a control freak? I like to drive, right? Um, and so I want to be in control of that car. Um, we have, um, I want to control the pace. I want to control the direction. Um, we have a new 16-year-old driver in our house. No, she's not here with us. This, she still has a few years to go. <clears throat> we fight over who gets to drive. And the reason I want to drive is because I want to be in control, and I don't want to give control to her. <clears throat> she's a good driver. Um, but she wants control, too. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <clears throat> but more, I want control because of the bad guys that had two martinis for lunch that are driving. Um, doesn't mean you're a bad guy if you have two martinis for lunch. I'm just saying. Like, it's because of the danger out there that I want control, right? Mostly, I want control because I don't want them to crash into me. And somehow I think my reactions against the threat of evil are faster than Jesus's. That's what bugs me. Jesus doesn't really seem to care about the evil that's present with us right now. Or else he'd do something about it, right? 
and justice is served at the end. Great, great, great. And true. But what about now? What about the evil that the Epstein victims face? Or evil that you face? Let the weeds grow right alongside the wheat. Let them grow. Do you not care? Maybe Jesus should let me drive. I don't know. I'd get rid of him. A deeper look into this parable provides the answer, though, that I'm looking for. Maybe you are, too. First, by explaining that evil is actually hard to see. It's really deceptive sometimes. Evil is. Sometimes it's very clear, but sometimes it's not because it's sown by the father of lies, as we're told here in the parable. Um, this, is, this word, by the way, is for weeds. It's not a gen- generic weed. Um, it is actually the word for what's called darnel grass. Um, tares, which looks almost identical to wheat. Which one do you think is the wheat? The one on the left? Or the right? The wheat is the one on the left. The wheat is the one on the right. And this one, the fruit of that is poisonous. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Sometimes it's hard to tell weeds from wheat in this world. Um, Sometimes it's hard to tell. Even a doting mother might be actually manipulative. Um, Even a pastor might have a selfish agenda. Even a friend might have only the aim of getting from you what they want instead of actually loving you in return, ends up gossiping about you and dumping you if you're not going to give them. It's, it, evil's all around. It's hard to tell, right? Jesus wants us to be careful. Go slow. Evil's deceptive. Um, it's why uh, our opponents in a Sporting match wear opposite colors so we can tell them apart. It's not like that in the world. Right? Um, it's, we don't have that luxury under the sun. You want proof of how deceptive it is? Maybe we need to be reminded, and I think that's what Jesus is referring to, that, um, that evil is actually in the heart of each one of us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said it really well. He said, if you could throw the quote up there, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and if it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. 
And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Jesus' point. Any attempt to pull the weeds by your own wits because you want control. Any attempt to, to just yank those things up since the reality of sin and evil actually runs through the heart of every man and woman will only result in the abolition of virtually everyone. Martin Luther King Jr., who we celebrate this weekend, he knew that well. He was facing real evil, and he spoke against it, but he also knew himself. Nonviolent. Let's not just go yanking up all the weeds. We are like the six-year-old on the Chaparral antique car ride. Um, I shudder to think how much trouble I would have had caused that six-year-old if they'd actually given me the keys to a real car. How little discernment I had at six years old over really what was good and evil. Um, so we're, are we left then in this place of sort of apathetic surrender to evil while we wait for the kingdom come? No, of course not. That's not what Jesus is saying. Um, he's not saying turn a blind eye to evil, just like Martin Luther King Jr. didn't turn a blind eye to evil. Nothing in this text says that fighting evil is immoral in any way, shape, or form, okay? In fact, that's all over the Bible. When you see evil, speak against it. Stand up for it. Stand up against it. Uh, that calling for any follower of Jesus is there and clear. Um, but And here's the difference, and this is hard. We must never stand in the judgment seat of God. There's a difference between speaking against something and speaking judgment. Ultimate judgment, especially on those. That's what Jesus is warning his listeners. Salvation, specifically salvation, Uh, where someone will ultimately end up belongs to God alone. The decision about where someone ends up belongs to God alone, okay? It is never, there is never a reason to stand on the street corner with a placard for any reason and say to anyone else, you're going to hell. Never. Not once. Because that's God's business, (laughs) We do not have the right to that seat. We do not have the wheel. Um, It is not, we should never say that, and we should guard against saying it when we do say it in our hearts, and we do. Robert Capon, the the great um, commentator of the parables, says it, This way, he says, the parable does not say that resistance to evil is morally wrong, only that it is salvifically ineffective. In other words, judgment, salvation belongs to God, not us. Do you think that Epstein is in hell? Well, before you answer that. I think the correct answer should be, I don't know. 
It's not our job to know. We're not God. We're the six-year-old on the ride. Fight injustice, yes. But do not do it, if possible, with any condemnation. In fact, and this is where this parable gets really remarkable. It's hard to see on a cursory reading. But it shows us that actually God is in the serious business of transforming evil. God is in the serious business of transforming forgiveness. And that's really at the base of this. In, the, in verse 30, at the very beginning of that last verse we read, it, it, when it said, let both grow together until the harvest, it's actually a really complicated sentence in the Greek. Um, the verb has two major nuances. The first is permit it, let it be, right? Let it grow, permit it to grow. But it also has the nuance of a disposition of forgiveness. The farmer in the parable is saying, this is a letting it be, a permission that is done with a forgiving disposition towards the evil perpetrator. Like the prodigal son. Later, the father lets him go off. Anyone think that the father was not a little ticked off? Anyone? I mean, we know the beautiful scene of him coming home, but I don't know. I think the father would have been a little bit ticked off. You want the money now, okay? Um, angry, disappointed. Yes, but he wants him to come back. Let him go, but with a forgiving disposition. It's the same way that God urged Jonah when he went to Nineveh. Um, Do we have a disposition of forgiveness even in the face of evil? I know we may do a little hand-wringing here. If we let the enemy grow with the promise of forgiveness, won't it just grow out of control? Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe God wants to change those weeds into wheat, right? Um, Maybe God will use their mistakes or even evil choices to bring them to their senses and bring them to ourselves. I never forget a, um, a conversation I had with a a uh, fellow student at Covenant Seminary near the end of my time there, and um, she was grief-stricken because her grandmother, who was an ornery old cuss, um, showed no fruit of the Spirit at all, died. And she was just beside herself. She asked me, is my grandma in hell? My answer, thankfully, was, I don't know. Um, there may not have been signs of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, but you know what? The thief on the cross didn't show any signs of the fruit of the Spirit either. Um, Other than saying, paradise sounds good. Um, 
I can't assure you, I told her, um, but I said this, and you never say something, and you're like, where did that come from? And you're like, oh, well, maybe that was actually the Holy Spirit. I, I, so I, I just said, I'll just tell you this, friend, never underestimate the mercy and grace of God. That's what I do know. That's what I can assure you of. I don't know. But I know God is merciful and gracious. That's all I do know. Remember who gave us this parable? This is Jesus who said, forgive them on the cross, not nuke them like I would have. Um, yes, to the evil enemies even that hung him there and to you and to me. Jesus is not worried about the wheat and the weeds in this parable. He's not worried about the weeds growing. He's not worried about it. He's not worried as I am worried about that. Um, The sky's not falling. The kingdom's coming. That's what he's saying. I got it. I got the wheel. Can you let go of it for a minute? This parable is actually, on the surface of it, it seems like a terrible parable of judgment, but it's actually a beautiful parable of grace. Um, It tells us not to underestimate the mercy of God um, and his disposition of forgiveness. That's his serious business, right? Jesus is teaching us here to have a forgiving disposition even in the face of evil. Don't rush to yanking up the weeds. Condemnation is not our business. Mercy and transformation is his business, though. And that's hard. Jeffrey Epstein's victims... Um, I remember one of them saying, attempting to forgive him has been so difficult for me. Yes. It's hard. So how can we move, just a couple quick application points, then I'm done. How can we move in that direction as citizens of the kingdom we are, in the face of evil in the world as it is? Um, how can we cultivate a, di- for a disposition of forgiveness, even in light of real evil? And three quick things. First, name it. Don't gloss it over. Don't deny evil's presence. Um, It's easier, recognize, it's easier to jump to condemnation because it's easier to cause pain than to feel pain. The judge in Epstein's case wisely went ahead with the trial and let all of the victims speak, even though Epstein was dead. Name it. Forgiveness is not politeness. It's the acknowledgement of real evil and real pain uh, that 
sin and evil causes. Second thing, um, nor is it, nor is forgiveness forgetting. Um, we're not just saying, hey, you know, like, let the, the wheat hug it out with the weeds. Because those weeds are destructive, they're poisonous now. So, name it, um, and know that forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, even if God wants to transform them. Um, having a forgiving disposition does not mean that we shouldn't guard against evil. Especially when that evil tries to choke out our good wheat. Okay, go slow, ask for discernment in distinguishing the wheat from the weeds, but also go slow in trusting the weeds and opening yourself up to more poison. Um, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. It does not either mean reconciliation. It's part of it. Of reconciliation with evil many times uh, that kind of reconciliation is just impossible in full and partial now okay um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, you know he did great work while he was with us um, but are we reconciled yet 60 years later of all the racial problems just is that all done now Um, it takes time, and sometimes it does take till the end. That's the second thing. Um, forgiving disposition doesn't mean a forgetting disposition. Okay, and then lastly, um, we do need to remember that God ultimately has changed us from a weed to a wheat. That evil does run through even our hearts <clears throat> there was no one at the foot of the cross that didn't need Jesus's forgiveness that day not one even mom um, no one at the foot of that cross didn't need them to forgive him and didn't welcome his words forgive them that's why he came we all deserve to be yanked out of the garden, but that's not his merciful disposition. His merciful disposition is to change us from a weed to a wheat, and we need to remember that about ourselves as we think about those who have hurt us and caused evil in our lives. Evil is no match for God's mercy, friends. The sky's not falling. His kingdom is coming. And he's driving this boat, boat and bus or car um, because he needs to show the world who's really in charge, who's really the king. Let me pray. <laughs> Our Father, um, we believe, but help our unbelief. We are so quick to take the wheel and think that we know how um, 
all the evil out there should be dealt with without looking at our own hearts and recognizing that if, if we had it our way, we would be in big trouble. Um, give, us, uh, give us a disposition of forgiveness that's rooted in your grace and mercy. We ask that in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.